Uh, what a special moment uh, for me, and so, so thankful. Tanner, thank you for that introduction, and uh, it is, let me just say at the beginning, it's a privilege to be in South Dakota. Uh, Tanner did have it correct. I grew up in Kentucky, so the mountains are a little bit different uh, for me, but it has been a delight uh, for me and my son Luke to be here the last couple days, and so a couple things just uh, in way of just uh, preliminary items. Um, I, I just want to say thank you to South Canyon, to the elders for just the privilege for Luke, my uh, 14-year-old, to join me this weekend. It's been a privilege. Yesterday we had a blast. Uh, we enjoyed bear country, and thankfully the wolves were um, tame yesterday. Uh, but just a great time we were able to do that and uh, enjoy Reptile Garden and uh, just the beauty. I, I have to tell you at the beginning, you live in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. And I hope that familiarity has not caused your senses to go numb on what you are able to see around you. And so yesterday was a delight for us as a family, uh, for just Luke and I. I do have some folks back home that are jealous. Uh, that's the rest of the crew. Um, my wife, Chris and I, as Tanner said, been married 23 years this December. Uh, and then Aaron is the oldest. He's on the far, your left, my right there. Uh, he's a senior this year. And so uh, we're looking forward to um, him either moving or starting to pay rent. And so one of those two things. Um, and so he uh, is doing well. And then Ellie is our caboose. She's nine. Uh, this was actually Easter last year. Um, and so uh, that's, that's the crew. We have a little bit of diversity around the table. So as, again, Tanner mentioned, I grew up in Kentucky. My wife is a Buckeye. I grew up in Ohio. We met in college. Uh, she had to have an interpreter when we first met, um, but nonetheless. And then Luke was born in Anderson, Indiana, where we currently serve. Aaron was born in North Carolina. And then Ellie was born in Thailand. So we, we have diversity. We're always debating um, what mascot is the best. And Ellie says elephants from Thailand are the best. So, but that's the crew. Uh, and so thankful to be able to be here. A number of years ago, God in his kindness, Providence allowed me to start a relationship with your pastor. And uh, I can just tell you that um, there are things in my heart and mind, even this weekend, that are going off are just uh, causing me to be extremely grateful for God's kindness and so, so grateful to be with you this weekend and just hopefully want to encourage you along the way. And I also want to say to Natalie and Jeff and Grace, even in the midst of a lot of struggles and hurting, that just the hospitality and your encouragement this weekend has been great. So it's been good to get, be with you guys and uh, looking forward to the rest of our time together. So I have two aims this morning, and that is simply I uh, have the privilege to uh, both encourage and challenge James and by extension the older team here this morning. Um, and so thinking about the uniqueness of this day and what it means in the life of your church family, uh, I, would, uh, I would just suggest to you that biblical leadership uh, in the midst of your Christian discipleship is essential. So I have the privilege to, uh, to preach to one of my best friends in the world this morning and just to encourage you and also remind James and the elder team of some things that from the text, from God's word, sadly in our culture and even in the church culture is increasingly lost. And so I want to go ahead and invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. So that's aim number one, that I want us to look at the text and basically James point out to you, remind you and the elders of what the portrait of a faithful pastor is. Uh, and so that's aim number two. And then at the conclusion of my time, I want to encourage you but also challenge you as a church family in these days uh, to basically faithfulness. Uh, sadly, uh, too many times we forget in the life of the church that it's a two-way street. Uh, a lot of times we think, well, if we just have good, healthy leadership, then we will be faithful and fruitful in the mission. Well, that's a tragic misnomer. 
Um, if you're sitting there uh, and maybe you are in a season of idleness or just sort of going through the Christian motions, I hope that God, through the preaching of his word, will provoke you on your part that you should play in the life of this church. And so those are my two aims, a, fa- a portrait of a faithful pastor, and then secondly, a, f- a portrait of a faithful church member. And, uh, and so let's just take up God's word together, starting in 1 Peter chapter 5, actually verses 1 through 5 this morning. And first I want us to look at a portrait of a faithful pastor. Peter writing to exiles writes in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A brief prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that seeds sown in weakness and frailty this morning would sprout to beautiful, godly fruit. And so we, we're so thankful that we don't go from worship to an ordination to vows to now something that's not part of your eternal plan. But God, we get the privilege to worship in and through your word. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would attend to each of us and that you would take the mere words of a man and that you would encourage James and the elders and by extension their families. And then, Heavenly Father, that you would revive your people here at South Canyon for your glory in these days. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first of all, a portrait of a faithful pastor. Interestingly, when you think about the context of this, Peter, we're just not dropping into chapter 5, detached from four previous chapters in this letter that Peter was writing to his audience. If you think about the audience for just a second, Peter, uh, even at the beginning of this uh, letter, talks about that there's this exilic state. Not very soon hereafter, if you think about church history, a gentleman by the name of Nero would take the throne. And Nero was so vicious that he would even have his own mother killed. And so when you think about the, the sort of the ebb and flow of what Peter is doing is he's trying to help Christians in the early church to endure, to get to the finish line. And one of the things that Peter does throughout the course of this letter is he often talks about suffering. What is the view that we should have when we think about suffering? How is it that we should endure as God's people through suffering? And how is it that we can bring glory to God through our suffering? And all of a sudden, at the end of chapter 4, I'll just show you in regards to context, notice what Peter writes in chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This idea of suffering is, again, normative throughout the letter. But interestingly, when we come to chapter 5, it's almost as if something little peculiar happens. And Peter begins to address, give a sort of an extension of what faithful pastoring should look like. And often, even over the last few weeks, uh, thinking about why in the world does Peter all of a sudden take up faithful pastoring, this picture of a portrait of God's men leading God's people. Now, if I were to ask you the question, in the middle of sorrow and struggle and suffering, what are some things that you would need, right? 
By the way, how many of you know that the Christian life is not immune to sorrow? Can you, you can respond, right? That suffering is not just a theological thing that we read, it's actually something that we encounter. But what I find important is that there would be a lot of right answers that possibly you would give to me that you would say, you know, I need this in the midst of sorrow. I need this in the midst of struggle. Well, I want us to draw our attention to one of the things that we can forget, that one of the things that Peter does is that in the middle of suffering in the first century and even in the 21st century, is he expresses to each of us that we need faithful shepherds as a means for us to endure suffering. And I think it's really, really important for you, all of us, to remember that sorrow is normative, but faithful pastoring is a big part of us getting to the finish line. And so even at the beginning of this, James, just to you and to the older team, I, w- I want to just remind you that God has in His sovereign grace not only placed you here to do the work of the Word and to do the work of praying for people, but He has in large measure put you here and the other brothers as a means of grace to your people as they struggle. And I think that that's important for you to know, for you to be reminded of that this is the condition and really the, the, the emphasis that Peter gives us at the beginning. So what is it then that a faithful pastor, what is it that, what's this picture that we see? And I want to remind you and pray for you, James, that you would see these with fresh eyes and deep conviction that in this text we see a few things that help you understand and even practice pastoring among the folks here at South Canyon. First of all, James, and by extension, elder team, it's important that you know well the condition of your flock, that you know well the condition of your flock. Peter states clearly in this text that pastoral ministry is partly being a front, having a front row seat into the lives of your people. Better yet, it's doing life with your people. This is the whole image of a shepherd leading the sheep. If you notice how, although he front loads this with this personal indication, in verse 2 he gives us the primary verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is the idea that you have to understand that it's important to know well, again, the spiritual vitality or even struggles of your people. I was reminded that the spiritual health of your church, of this church of South Canyon, is not only related to the priority of the Lord's Day, but it is also related to the interactions that you have throughout the week with your people. You see, healthy sheep are not just well-fed, they are well-known. And this is important. It's all too common when you think about larger church life, specifically in America or the West, it is all too common for pastors to seek to prepare great sermons They work at planning and reviewing the Sunday gatherings. They develop discipleship programs. They manage ministry events. And then they miss the power of shepherding people. I was reminded also this week of the censure that was offered by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34. Prophet Ezekiel censures the shepherds of Israel in his day. And basically it was... a note on that they were derelict in their duty on two fronts. First of all, they neglected feeding the sheep. And then secondly, they did not care for the sheep. They cared for themselves. Well, by thinking through that, caring for the sheep, that censure that was offered centuries ago, cannot be a censure that's offered to you and to the team here at South Canyon. That you need to care for your people well. And it's not just feeding them well, it's knowing them well. So two things that I would suggest to you, even we see in the text, that matters. First of all, proximity matters. It's interesting that 
Peter gives the instruction, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Among you. You cannot pastor from a distance. You cannot elder from a distance. You cannot lead the sheep if they do not know your voice, if they don't recognize your stature, and if they cannot reflexively follow you as you follow Christ. Don't allow the convenience of more disciples and more leaders to create distance between you and your people. See it as a privilege that proximity matters. Secondly, so shepherd the people among you. Secondly, a plurality matters. One of the things that just in just thinking about this season of life for you, and even the privilege this morning to pray with some of the elders in your office, I am so thrilled that just in a brief observation in South Canyon, I would just say to you is that it is a beautiful thing for godly men to serve in the office of elder pastor, to don the towel of servant leadership, and to care for you. And one of the ways that you can know well the condition of your flock is you do that through partnership with other men. And so it's a blessing to see that, James, you don't have to carry the mantle of spiritual leadership alone. You don't have to bear the weight of knowing your flock alone. And so I would suggest to you that, um, by God's grace, over time, develop a deep camaraderie with these brothers, with this elder team. Develop a camaraderie that that is deeply encouraging to one another so that in your investment and your camaraderie with the elders there's a downstream effect to the people that are in this room that the downstream effect is is that because of the glory of Christ and because of the renown of Jesus and because of the calling of pastoral ministry that there is a deep brotherhood that can seek to maximize and even multiply pastoral care among God's people here so a plurality matters and my hope is that in the rhythm of your eldership here at South Canyon, that you would see that you were to give attention to the health of your people. Too often, James, and even by extension the other elders, even in this recovery over the last two decades of a plurality of elders within our churches, I'm afraid that we're missing something. So often, elders think that this is simply for personal accountability. There's more of us. And it's not wrong. Elders should be accountable to the scriptures and to one another and to the church. But understand that a plurality of elders is not just for accountability. It's for the proper care of the flock. And so this is important to remember. So first of all, know well the condition of your flock. Shepherd the, shepherd the sheep among you for God's glory. Secondly, the second picture that we see or part of the portrait is that a faithful pastor leads his people with glad-hearted assertiveness. So notice, notice the thought as, as Peter begins to give us this picture of shepherding. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. You see, pastoral ministry is not only relational, but it's also directional. In other words, there is more to pastoring than knowing the condition of your people. You and the other men must lead your people toward Christ. Godly leadership is deliberate and directional. This is why Peter, I think, helps this image take more shape by saying, okay, there's something that you have to assert in this shepherding image, in this shepherding passion that you have. And that is that you want to have glad-hearted of assertiveness. You see, by its very nature, biblical leadership should be decisive. So, James, you along with the other elders are not backseat drivers in the life of South Canyon. 
God's people need God's men to lead them. And so I would suggest that you have to be thoughtful and careful that your view of polity and unity doesn't paralyze you from purposefully leading your people. This is important. By the very nature, interestingly, even the word that's chosen, oversight, by the very word that's used here, Peter is giving the indication that you are to lead. This is the very nature of your office. In some limited way, you and the elder team have been given authority. It is limited. It's not to be abused, but it's given. It's a stewardship. And you should lead your people into the glories of Christ, downward into the splendor of his word, and you should lead your people outward on mission. Don't abuse your authority, but don't be ashamed of it either. This is exercising oversight. This is important. So, first of all, you need to know well the condition of your flock. Secondly, you need to lead with glad-hearted assertiveness. And then in the midst of that, you need to know that there are some peculiar dangers. Peter lists three negatives now in the text that act as warnings to pastoral leadership. If you notice, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So in this, we see that Peter moves from this positive side of pastoral leadership now to the negative or the warnings that are offered that you should take note of. And so the first one is simply this. There is a danger of losing the joy of serving. This is what Peter notes, not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, we all know that as a Christian, and even in leadership, that duty and resolve should be part of our tool belt, right? That we, that there's, we, don't, we don't lose that sense of duty and responsibility. We shouldn't. But there is a danger of going through the motions in pastoral ministry, of simply losing the joy of serving Christ and his people. So I would suggest for you and for all of the elders to regularly check your, check your emotions, check your motives often. And don't allow the wear and tear of ministry to rob you of the joy of serving Christ. David Helm has recently said this. He said, men who serve only from a sense of duty will not have the requisite of love necessary for God's people to flourish. Biblical elders need to do the right thing even when they don't feel like it. But elders who are governed merely by duty and not love are falling short of serving God as he would have them. We must grow in our love for God's people, especially those whom we find unlovely. Remember, James, it is sheer joy to lead the bride to the bridegroom every week. It is sheer joy. So first of all, don't lose the joy of serving, Peter would note. Secondly, another peculiar danger is the danger of loving the benefits of serving more than the progress of your people. Notice what he says. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Loving the benefits more than loving the progress of your people, it's a danger. You see, pastoral greed is shameful. This is what Peter says. And motives do matter in ministry, and money has the power to ruin the best of ministers. Remember this statement. A love for money and a love for pastoral ministry cannot coexist. Now, on a personal note, I know you. And I know over the years that you are a generous person and you model this generosity in your own discipleship and I would just encourage you to continue to lead the way in that 
and thank God. But know there is a peculiar danger for pastoral ministry that you must be on guard against. And to South Canyon, by way of extension, let me just suggest to you that simply, uh, simply being poor as a pastor doesn't mean someone is more faithful. You should be thoughtful in your compassion and reasonable in how you care for your staff. I digress. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, we note another danger, and this one I think is, is probably in our day and age the one that's most prevalent, and that is simply this, loving power more than loving serving your people. Notice what Peter says. He says in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, you should be careful, James, that you don't bind your people's conscience where the word does not bind it. Be careful that you don't demand what is described in the text rather than what is prescribed in the text. And don't use your position to manipulate people to your preferences. And as John Stott said years ago, don't undermine the authority of God's word and turn church government into spiritual tyranny. Any authority that we have as pastors is to be exhausted for the progress and advance of our people, not our own self-promotion. Peter is very clear that a domineering spirit in the pastoral office will lead to ruin. So be on guard against these three things. So first of all, we see that you know well the condition of your flock. Secondly, we are reminded that you are to lead with glad heart of assertiveness, being on guard against these dangers. And then thirdly, you are to be an example, which flows right through this text. You are to be an example. You are to exemplify what you want to see in your people. It's part of the third warning, but it makes sense if you notice how Peter rounds this section out. He says, but being examples to the flock. This idea is even implied by the Hebrew writer in chapter 13, verse 7, when this instruction is offered, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word to you, the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. James, you, as you know, are to be an example to the people at South Canyon. Don't expect from your people what you're not willing to do. There are too many pastors who, again, preach sound expositional sermons. They keep really good office hours. They are great administrators, but they neglect the regular, ordinary responsibilities of following Jesus. So be sure that you marry your passion for the ministry of the word and prayer with a deep and penetrating life that encourages your people as you follow Jesus. found it helpful again this week, reminded of John Stott, who has an excellent commentary on 1 Peter, by the way. He was a well-known 20th century pastor and theologian. Chris Wright wrote of Stott, quote, Yet although his preaching brought him into contact with royalty, led him to selling millions of books, and even earned him a place among Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world, Stott remained a humble man. He lived in Spartan simplicity in a two-room flat above a garage. Author of more than 50 internationally best-selling books, he assigned all of his royalties to a trust fund to provide books for impoverished pastors and seminary libraries in the global south. When he died in 2011, it was covered by the BBC. Every UK broadcast, broadcast and the world's media and his memorial service packed St. Paul's Cathedral. But his ashes lie beneath a simple slate tombstone in a tiny village cemetery in Pembrokeshire. He would often prepare his sermons on his knees and was famous for emptying the wastebasket 
of a colleague every day for many years. One author wrote of Stott, quote, Some people are impressive in public but disappointing in private. John is just the opposite. He's more impressive in private than in public. You see, the pastor's life is not simply about preparing great sermons and casting vision. It's about the space in between those efforts in private with his people. Paul would tell young Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, and love, faith, and impurity. James, I would just suggest to you that as you do ministry here, seek to lead a life where people want to emulate you following Jesus. And then lastly, know, James, that your ultimate reward is later. Peter rounds this out in verse 4, and he changes the tense, and he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, this garland of grace. James, as a friend and as a brother, I would just suggest to you that you should pastor with red-hot devotion now because of what will be yours in the future. Serve today in light of that day. Pastoring is going to be full of sorrow. We know it, right? It's full of unfulfilled dreams. It's full of relational conflict and failures. Truly, there is suffering now, but there is glory later. Keep your eyes on the coming glory and eternal rest. For one day, one day, we will finally get to see the great shepherd. And Peter aims to lift our eyes toward that day out of the muck of this life and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth where we will finally and forever be with our Redeemer. He wants us to raise our heads with passionate expectation of the end of all things here and the eternal bliss of what is to come. My prayer for you is that you would soar in your service now because of the Savior's promise of a later rest. And so I would suggest that this is the portrait, partially, of a faithful pastor. But that's only one part of the story. South Canyon, I would suggest to you that you have a major part to play in this ministry. So what's the, quickly, what's the portrait of a faithful church member? Notice how Peter continues. He says, likewise, he changes focus. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's this continuation of like not only does Peter begin to help us understand what the portrait of a faithful pastor is, but he begins to help us understand what is it in the life and the rhythm of the church that's also important. That you, as God's people, right here in South Canyon, have a major part to play in the health and well-being of both your leaders and your church. Too many people think that the church is like a tour bus. They think, well, if we just have a staff and we have leaders, then it's going to be fruitful and effective. And we sort of think, well, it's the, the staff and the elders, they're, they're the bus drivers, and I'm just going to casually get on the bus, and they're going to drive us through the city, and we're going to enjoy the sights. Too many people sit in comfortable convenience today and have forgotten that they have a role to play in the effectiveness and the health of their church. That you have both a character to develop and you have a responsibility to fulfill. The local church, I would suggest to you, is not a tour bus. It's a symphony. And it's a symphony where you should play your part. You should play your part. And as you take ownership in that mission, what are some things that are important for you to consider? Well, let me offer you six considerations in closing for you to consider 
to help you play your part in the story that God is writing at South Canyon. Number one, I would suggest from 1 Peter, the text that we've read, is that you should respect godly authority. Now, obviously, Peter is recognizing generational diversity in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So we see that in his recognition of generational diversity in the life of the church, that he's teaching younger believers a posture that they should have towards leadership, and that is respect. But elsewhere, like in First Peter, or excuse me, in Hebrews, the writer would talk about that there is to be a glad-hearted obedience from God's people as you follow God's leaders, Hebrews chapter 13. That within the life of the congregation, there must be, there should be respect towards biblical leadership. We understand that this is important. However, respect for this authority is vanishing in our culture, and sadly, the church at large is not very far behind. My prayer this week is that it would not vanish at South Canyon. And my other prayer is, is that if you don't have it, that you would get it. That's my prayer for you. So respect godly authority. Secondly, cultivate humility as your trademark contribution. Notice what he says. This is the overriding characteristic. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And interesting, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, how many of you guys have a favorite t-shirt in your drawer that's probably 20 years or older and you will not let your wife throw it away? Okay, you're tracking with me. Right? And the, the word choice that Peter uses, clothe yourselves, it's the idea of like tying on an apron. And what Peter does in the flow of thought is he is giving us a characteristic trait that is essential to a healthy church and a healthy ministry. And that is humility. Humility. That it must be a trademark contribution that you make in the life of your church. Don't allow pride to rear its ugly head. You have to kill it. There's two ways that he teaches us to cultivate this. I don't have time, but in verse 6 into verse 7... Humility is cultivated by a big view of God and secondly, by, an in, by a dependence that you have on Him, by casting your cares on Him. But you must be a humble people. Are you teachable? Do you love your preferences? More than his kingdom? How are you being provoked to love and good deeds? Do you recognize yourself as a sinner saved by grace? Do you long for more of Christ? Do you truly depend on him? Do you cast your cares on him? Do you see him as big? Great, grand? Are you humble? Pride wrecks ministries. It wrecks churches. God will, Peter even teaches us, if you want the active opposition of God in your life and in your church, then allow pride to rule the day. If you want more grace in your life, then bow before the humble, almighty hand of God and receive grace upon grace upon grace.
Are you humble? Thirdly, take ownership in the Great Commission. Respect authority, cultivate humility, take ownership in the Great Commission. Your staff, your pastors are not the only disciplers in the life of the church. By God's grace, you have been equipped, you have a story, and you have responsibility. To use another image, too often we think that the church is a cruise ship. I would suggest to you that the church is a battleship. Are you fulfilling your role? Take ownership in the Great Commission. Number four, think carefully, and this is important, think carefully about your expectations of your staff and of your pastors. Allow James and Natalie and the kids to be Christians first. Don't simply think in terms of professional employees when you think of James and your staff. Think of Christians who need God's grace, who struggle along the way, Be supportive and encouraging. Just as you need encouragement, they need encouragement. Be careful about your expectations. Fifthly, be present and fully engaged. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm not going to read it. You can go, it's homework. That whole passage talks about the believer as a follow-up to his new identity in Christ, your response. That you basically are to be present and engaged in the life of your church, the one another's. Instead of asleep or absent, I would say sing. I mean sing, serve, sacrifice, give, go, and then do it again. Then do it again. And then lastly, be prayerful. One of the things that Paul asked the church at Colossae to do for him is to pray for him, that a door would be opened in the proclamation of the gospel. And I believe that it's yet to be seen what God could do through you and South Canyon, that your best days could be in front of you, And they could be realized. But you have to understand that there must be a commitment to prayerful dependence and intercession. That there is a direct link, a God-ordained link between your faithfulness to pray for God to work in saving the lost, reviving his people, and blessing the ministry of the word. In short, if you will pray for James, and if you will pray for the elders and their families, and fulfill your responsibilities, I believe that God can do what he always does. And that is simply this. Build his church. Build his church. But South Canyon, you have a part to play. You have a part to play. It's central to the identity of what God wants to do in and through your church. And so a portrait of a faithful, I could say more, of a faithful church member, that's not exhaustive, is there. But I want to offer you this prayer in closing that James is for you, but also for your family and for the family at South Canyon And it's adapted from the Valley of Vision. So let's just pray these words together. O Lord, let not James' ministry be approved only by men or merely win the esteem and affections of people, but do the work of grace in the hearts of the people at South Canyon. Call in thy elect, seal and edify the regenerate ones, and command eternal blessings on their souls. Save James from self-opinion and self-seeking. What are the hearts of those who hear your word that seed sown in weakness may be raised in power? Cause James and those that hear him to behold thee here in the light of special faith and hereafter in the blaze of endless glory. Make James's every sermon a means of grace to himself and help him to experience the power of your dying love. For your blood is balm, your presence bliss, Your smile, heaven, 
your cross, the place where truth and mercy meet. Look upon the doubts and discouragements of James's ministry and keep him from self-importance. Stay with the people of South Canyon and may the presence, your presence, be their portion along with James, Natalie, Jeff, Grant, Grace, and Gabe. And, O Lord of power and grace, all hearts are in your hands, all events at your disposal. Set the seal of your almighty will upon James's ministry. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friend and for his family. And thank you for the joy of allowing me to share in this small, de- small part of this day. And my prayer is, is that you would awaken the folks at South Canyon for your glory and for the renown of your son. By your grace and for your glory, we commit this time to you. And our prayer again is simply this, that you would take seed sown in weakness and you would bring beautiful, glorious fruit that more and more people would ascribe worship and worth to the Lord Jesus and that you alone would be honored. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name alone we give glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.